0: Hello everyone, and welcome to episode nine of the mentor podcast. This episode is going to be me interviewing solo again. John Herrera can technically come back to interviewing. However, he currently has bronchitis, so I'll do one more solo interview and then hopefully we'll get us both back together to co-host. But in the meantime, I wanted to do an episode with someone who I actually met last weekend at a sheepdog response course that I took, the Protector One course. His name is Stephen Martin, and he's one of the instructors for sheepdog, but Prior to his time with Sheepdog Response, he spent 22 years in the army, and he retired as a sergeant first class, and the vast majority of his time was spent as a combatives instructor. And in fact, Steve was instrumental in writing doctrine for that program. He was a chief instructor and ended his time with the 10 Special Forces Group here in Fort Carson. He's a black belt in jujitsu and a wealth of knowledge when it comes to martial arts. And in this episode, we talk about responsible gun ownership self-defense, first aid, trauma, and we also talk about situational awareness as well. Hope you enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode nine of the Mentor Podcast. Today, we have a special guest, Steve Martin, not to be confused with the actor, Steve Martin. uh, Just met Steve this past weekend at the Sheepdog Response Protector One course, which was an awesome course. Um, He's one of the instructors, and we got to talking, and it just so happened that he lives in Colorado Springs, so I thought this was an awesome opportunity to get somebody on who is interested in highly trained in the things that I'm interested in, particularly self-defense. So without further ado, Steve, if you wanna just tell us a little bit about yourself before we get into the formal questions.
1: Sure, yeah, so um, I'm from uh, Tucson, Arizona. I was born there, um, was raised there until I was 20 years old before I joined the army. Um, Growing up in Tucson, we we definitely grew up in the desert part, like outside of Tucson. So we did a lot of four wheeling and jeeping and, and dirt bike riding, shooting guns out there in the desert. Uh, my dad was actually, he restores old military vehicles. So I've always had a love for the Army, you know, since I was a little kid, just saw myself joining the Army. I thought I was gonna be a soldier. Actually, I had no idea what the Army's about. When I when I signed up, I thought, you know, you're just gonna be jumping out of al- airplanes and helicopters and swimming around and, and shooting things all day long. I had no idea there are actually jobs in the Army. <laughs> um, and uh, so, so, yeah, once uh, I was 20 years old, finally took the leap, joined the Army, first duty station was germany out there we were training for more of a trench warfare uh doing v formations out there on the wood lines you know thinking about the cold war and then iraq happened obviously afghanistan happened and then uh, iraq was right after that i was deployed in uh, 2003 during the ground invasion up uh through kuwait into iraq and we realized all the training we did was just wrong mm-hmm. you know we were trying to shoot people you know in a foxhole at 300 meters plus we started you know this urban warfare it was a totally different animal shooting people you know under three meters um, worrying about you know uh, turning corners and everything inside of buildings instead of out in the wood lane. Um, once we got back from Iraq um, this cabadas uh, it was already around but it wasn't big at the time and but once I noticed it I, I was like I have to be a part of this I want to mm-hmm. you know, you know take it more seriously, find out what is that about, you know, what are they teaching, and, uh, and at first it was just really all about just closing distance, you know, um, gaining a a dominant position on the ground and finishing the fight there, and then, of course, it, you know, once we start putting our gear on and equipment, we realize maybe we don't want to go to the ground, and, uh, and and so when I got to Fort Benning it was awesome. We started talking about creating space, using our weapons, you know, you know, even stalling a fight to allow our buddies to come in and help us out. Um but yeah, so once uh once I started training in Kabatas, I actually got a, a station in Korea where I opened my first school there. I ran it for a couple of years. Um and uh and i actually invited my buddy Yako, which he was my buddy at the time he was just my instructor he he certified me level three i invited him out to korea to uh, teach a level three master course um he came out we got really close then and 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 uh he invited me out to fort benning to get a job out there which is the hub for the whole army um mm-hmm. for kabatas once i got out there uh became the ncyc uh the chief trainer for, um and and help rewrote documents and everything, and the manuals, and we got some amazing people that came down there to help us out. And so I really got to see it explode and expand um, across the Army. Um, After Fort Benning, I got stationed here in Colorado, at Fort Carson, um, where uh, I was running a main post fight house for a couple years, and then 10 Special Forces actually picked me up, and I started going over there and training them for the last eight years of my career Mm -hmm. um, before I got out. And um, over there, I was teaching uh, SFAWIC, which is Special Forces Advanced Urban Combat. Um, so that yeah, they do a lot more shooting and everything. Like, well, we're talking about, you know, running through rooms with weapons and everything. We really just have the rubber ducks, and we're just messing around. If somebody hits us, how to create space, get our weapons back up. But, you know, these guys are actually training with live ammo and everything, simulators or simulation uh, rounds, and uh, and so, yeah, actually turning corners with real guns and and everything was it was different you know it it started opening my mind even more like man you know it's somewhere between going down the range and shooting and and doing jujitsu on the the soft mats you know Mm -hmm. it becomes definitely more realistic Mm -hmm. you know especially when you got four good guys fighting four bad guys in an eight by eight room you start realizing you know like um a a lot of a lot of your training that you did prior to this you know is meaningless Mm -hmm. you know Um, When you got walls involved, you got other people you're rolling over, you're looking for the, you know, who is the bad guy, who's the good guy, how can I support my guy without making a a shit sandwich, you know, Um, meaning like I'm jumping on top of my guy on top of a bad guy, you know, which never is good. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all about separating somebody, you know, isolating them um, to get a clear shot or whatever you need to do, maybe even handcuff them or zip tie them. And then, yeah, so I finished my career here in uh, Fort Carson, Colorado. And. And I was planning on going back to Tucson, but then I ended up getting a girlfriend and she kept me here in
0: Colorado. Classic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. And then you how did you uh, get picked up by Sheepdog Response?
1: Um, so of course through the combatives community and the army, I knew Tim Kennedy, um, which Tim Kennedy also knew Yako uh Khalili, my best friend. Um And then, uh, so Yako, as soon as I got out of the army, he's like, yeah, we got to jump on this. And, and at first I was kind of hesitant. I was like, man, I've been doing this 16 years of my army career. Maybe it's time for something else. I'm going to see what this whole retirement thing's all about. And then he just said, you know, let's do one class. Just do one class. Come check it out. And, and if you don't like, I won't bother you again. So, um, I went up to quarterly in Idaho and, um, and I was just blown away how amazing sheepdog structure is mm-hmm. and, and how awesome the students are, how great um, the leadership our bosses are mm-hmm. and how much they love us going down and teaching. Uh, it's definitely felt like what the army should have always been
0: about, yeah. you know, without the politics. Right. And I'm sure it's cool to, you know, teach to people who have never maybe even been exposed to that sort of thing before too. Right. I mean, you, it's, I, I assume it's just a totally different audience, you know, I mean, I'm sure in the army, you were used to teaching people who kind of had that warrior mindset and had exposure to different things. Whereas, you know, what I think is cool about the sheepdog courses is you've got, like, you've got me who's a firefighter, but then you have somebody who's maybe works in HR or, you know, works in the corporate world. So, you know, I'm sure appealing oh, I, to the uh, audience. Is it, a little it's different. pretty
1: neat. So far, you know, I, I've seen all kinds of walks of life. You know, I had a Last year, we had a 17-year-old girl about to join the Army, and so her mom went ahead and bought the package for mm-hmm. us so that she could actually you know, kind of be prepared before she went to basic training. Um, we had a, a firefighter. Well, he was a firefighter. He lost one of his arms, so he, was, he wanted to learn how to shoot guns with only one hand, um, how to fight with only one arm um and, and we had an 85 year old lady that's never shot a gun before and she brings out her little revolver and, and shooting for the first time with us and she was down getting on the mats and and, and, and shrimping and everything that's doing cool. what she could you know yeah. of course but yeah. it was just awesome to see these people you know really wanting to be here so of course in the army you got soldiers they're athletic they're 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 young they're in shape but not all all the soldiers want to do cabatas, mm-hmm. you know yeah Soldiers do get lazy, so you got some people that are told, "Hey, you got to be there," so you got to deal with them. You got to motivate them to train, um, and then you got leadership that they got so many things going on. Um, sometimes they don't want to, you know, do cabados because they got, you know, cyber awareness training or, or you know, some kind of, you know other kind of training they need to worry about and combatives seems to fall short sometimes. And so you gotta, it, it sucks that I had to remind a general and colonels why it's important for soldiers to know how to fight. Yeah. I would probably have to do that conversation at least once every quarter. Um, hmm. but yeah, with sheepdog, my bosses want me to there. The students want to be there. Yeah, they're paying for it. Yeah. You and know, it, and it's just awesome.
0: Yeah. I well. thought what was cool about this last weekend was, you know, obviously the weather was terrible. Yeah. So it was cool to see people. I mean, granted, you know, everybody spent however much money it was to go take the course. But at the same time, it's like, you know, we we stayed in Woodland Park, so it was about a 35 minute drive for us to get there, you know, and it's like, yeah, we're going, you know, I mean, if it's two feet of snow, we want to train, you know what I mean? Which I thought that was cool to see the vast majority of people. Granted, we had some people who didn't do it, but the vast majority of people taking the time and still getting out there in the snow and wanting to train regardless of weather. So, Oh, I was really surprised
1: too. Yeah. in the army, you could just say, Hey, you're going to be there and they have to be there. There's no choice about it. But yeah, when it comes to, you know, these are civilians paying their hard money for it and they can, they can reschedule and they can get another course, you know, with no cost. Um, We still had, yeah, 23 people show up when the roads were closed, lodging was getting closed down two feet of snow they didn't care they, they were ready to go out there they were ready to learn yeah. wanted to shoot wanted to fight but uh yeah we made it happen yeah you guys yeah, were that awesome was cool.
0: that was cool so what was your MOS in the army I don't, I don't think I heard
1: so, I came into the combat engineer and they quickly found out that I cheered my way through maps. I can't see out of my right eye. <laughs> and uh, so they were kicking me out. I, I remember having my plane tickets saying, like, hey, you know, you're going back home. And, and I remember going back to the barracks and kind of getting cry, you know, like a sad face and everything, crying a little bit and saying, I'm not going home like this. So, I went back to the first sergeant commander and I kind of yelled at him saying, you know, like, I'm the only one that wants to be here and you're going to send me home while other people want to go home and you're making them go through. And, uh, and I kind of bitched at him, you know, I walked away, you know, kind of like what the hell did I just yeah. do? <laughs> they came to me the next day, and offered me uh, a choice to stay in. And, and so I was, uh, um, they gave me a couple different options to, to pick from. And I, I chose track mechanic, you know, my dad restoring old military vehicles. I thought, you know, that would make him proud making me a mechanic. And it was kind of fun for a while um, when I was a, a young soldier, but after you make so much rank, then they just want you to go to meetings and everything and it got really boring. And and so when I realized I can actually go to uh, combatives and, and learn to fight and learn, to, you know, um, you know, still be high speed, um, you know, that's what kept me in the army the whole time.
0: Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Cool. Well, um, before we get into the questions, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge, you know, some of the current events that have happened. You know when you and i scheduled this it wasn't like you know the the school shooting had just happened so you know i want to be really tactful with our discussion today about about guns because you know as far as the timing of current events i I was thinking all day i'm like you know how am i how are we going to have a healthy discussion here with the emphasis that when we talk about guns and we talk about training we're talking about good people having access to guns for the purpose of self-defense but also for the purpose of training themselves to know how to use a weapon safely, to store a weapon safely. And in doing that and thinking about that whole thing, you know, it's, it's, <clears throat> it's different for me to think about this most recent mass shooting in Texas because now I am a father. You know, when Sandy Hook occurred, you know, I wasn't a dad yet, so it was a tragic event, but it really didn't resonate with me the way that this event resonated with me. And I know that, you know, there's gonna be a lot of political division and, you know, talks about gun control and that sort of thing. Um, But more than anything, I think what this event, you know, shows me is that there has to be good people out there who are willing to kind of stand up against evil, you know, regardless of what that means, whether it's, you know, police officers or whether it's, you know, armed security or whether it's just your average citizen who's being responsible and getting training in order to protect others. Um, So there was a few things that kind of led me into doing some research on things that i I guess i just didn't even know so like for instance we kind of talked about this on the front end but colorado where i live it's always been customary like when it comes to background checks you have to do a background check at a dealer but you also have to do a background check even if you're just doing a private transfer i didn't realize that that wasn't something that was across the board like i guess only 21 states including colorado required to get a background check for private entities as oh, well. Oh, wow. I didn't realize you yeah. so little. Yeah. So the whole like um, gun show loophole, that's kind of what that addresses. and And that was kind of shocking to me. I mean, I literally just bought a gun from a buddy not too long ago, and we had to go through that whole process of, hey, I'm going to go down to the dealer, pay my fee, they do a background check, and then they transfer it. So that was interesting to me. So that was one thing that Pew Research—they did some surveys and private background checks, meaning you know, private parties transferring firearms or gun shows. Um, that's a, a an issue that across party lines, both sides agree on. So, seventy percent Republican, ninety percent Democrat, both agree that private background checks should be a thing. Um, for me personally, like I don't, I don't see an issue with that. But again, I'm not somebody who'd be worried about a background check. You know, I've done a background. I did more than a background check for my job. I mean, I did a polygraph for my job, so getting a background check to me is not a big deal. Like, any time I go get a background check for a gun, I'm like, okay. But again, it's customary in Colorado that regardless of whether it's a dealer or a private entity, you know, it is what it is. So that was an interesting one to me. Um, Mental health, you know, I think that was another interesting one. I was reading up on, you know, how can somebody who is considered mentally defective get access to a weapon? The more and more that I did research, the more and more that I found that there are federal laws that say that somebody who's mentally defective shouldn't own a firearm. With that being said, though, it all relies on the state reporting those sort of things. So Colorado's not under any obligation to report somebody who's mentally defective. I thought that was kind of an interesting loophole as well. Hmm. Um, so, and then another thing that I, I did research on was concealed carry. So, like here, In order to get your concealed carry, you have to go through a training program. They do a thorough background check. And then once you've determined that you can safely handle a firearm and you've done a background check, you get your permit. Well, in other states, you can just have your concealed carry regardless.
1: Yeah, that's Arizona. You don't even have to go through anything to get a... You don't need a permit at all. You can just carry.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I guess what what this has really kind of shown me is that... I think that, you know, a lot of people try to shy away from these discussions, but at the same time, for as long as bad people have access to weapons, I feel like one of the biggest ways to counteract that is making sure that good people have access to weapons, but on top of that, have access to good training as well.
1: Well, I would agree. Yeah. I think they should have training obviously before they even buy the weapon. You know, I couldn't just go out and buy a car and start driving around. Obviously I would have to go through classes. I would have to go through different training, have to have so many hours on the road, um, before I could even try to get my license. And then, you know, so I don't understand why guns wouldn't be the same way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I'm on the same page. So you know, I guess for me, this is more of just, I'm, I'm speaking out loud, but as somebody who is a responsible gun owner and somebody who has taken the time to receive training on a personal level, I wouldn't be opposed to, you know, states modeling that same sort of background check process where even a private transfer, you'd have to get that. Um, being more strict on enforcing that people who have been committed to a mental institution can't own a weapon, or at least can't own it until they determine that they're safe to, to the public. But then also, like you said, receiving training you know mm-hmm. um i'm sure you see it all the time with sheepdog you know people who have weapons and maybe have had weapons for a long time but really don't know how to use that weapon in a safe manner
1: oh yeah right? yeah they'll come over there with it in the case and and they'll say you know they'll open it up
0: and be like show me how to you
1: know use this and it's like you've never opened this box up
0: <laughs> yeah right so with that in mind we are going to talk about weapons today we're going to talk about guns but the entire discussion circles around the idea of good people owning uh, a weapon but also being responsible gun owners as well and taking the time to do training and I think that's where companies like Sheepdog Response come in so first of all tell me what a sheepdog is okay the the idea of a sheepdog I know it but maybe not everybody does and uh, then uh talk about what Sheepdog Response does.
1: So so how I look at it is, you know, they, they got the three different animals. You got the wolf, the sheepdog, and the sheep, you know. And so you got the wolf, you know, obviously he's the bad guy. He's trying to get the sheep and the, the sheepdog, you know, he's been bred to watch up watch after his flock and make sure they keep the wolf away. Um, so basically, I think they took that, that concept and and create a sheepdog, you know, to kind of show that we should be looking after our flock of, of people, you know. Not everybody's going to be able to train. Not everybody's going to be able to do the right thing, um, you know, and, and, and we expect that, you know. But there is good people out there, and we want to make sure they're trained to the, you know, highest capacity they, they can have, you know, so that when something does go wrong, they will be able to look after their flock and look after their people. And, of course, you know, um... Uh, and then what was the second part with that?
0: So the second part was, you talked about what a sheepdog is, but what does sheepdog response do?
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, with sheepdog, yeah, it's just, we take a lot of training that we did in the military, you know, for, you know, we got a, a tactical trauma response course, you know, just in case anybody does get hurt, you know, uh, get shot, maybe, uh, how to put tourniquets on, how to put a, seals on the chest. Um, how to evac people properly? Um, how to barricade rooms if there is an active shooter? So the trauma course is amazing, but we also have just the basic protector one course where we teach you the basics of kibabas, meaning you know like different types of fighting, um, having dominant po- uh, body positions, how to use a pistol proficiently. Um, you know when I when I say that, not just shooting and and trying to make a tight tight shot group, but actually how to, you know, quickly reload, um, do tac mag reloads, how to get behind cover, how to shoot behind cover, you know, more realistic that way. And then uh, from there, you could always expand and, and of course, we got carbine one as well, meaning, you know, you bring your AR there and you learn how to the same thing as the pistol one course, but then it expands from there. We got a protector two course where we, you know, do more of stand up fighting, um, more one handed shooting. Um, we have a vehicle, uh, vehicle defense course that we have where you shoot from the vehicle, getting out of a vehicle, shooting around a vehicle, a singleton course, meaning you're going into a room by yourself um, and clearing rooms, uh, you know, just in case like your, your house ever gets, you know, attacked or whatever like that. How do I properly come out into the hallway? How do I get into the living room? How do I find the bad guy before he could find me? You know, so, yeah, some of the courses we offer are pretty amazing.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And with that, how important do you think it is for, I think you kind of already answered this, you know, as far as the, the analogy of a driver's license, you know, people who own a firearm should have training, um, even like you said, maybe even training before they're able to purchase one. Um, And I don't, you know, that's, that's up for debate, obviously, but how important do you think it is for civilians to have access to the type of training that Sheepdog provides?
1: Oh, I think it's very important. Just like we were talking about before, so so any guy could go down and buy a gun, and it doesn't need, you know, nothing but his driver's license saying that he's 21 years old, he does a background check, he's good to go, and then he can hide it and conceal it, and he never went through the classes, never got a permit, and nobody knows about mm-hmm. it, you know? It's only the, the people that are doing the right thing, um, good people getting the permits and going through the training. Um, got a lot of bad people out there that are going around doing bad things and they're getting experience doing so. How do good people get experience? You know, mm-hmm. we're not going around using our firearms on a regular. So you have to do the training. If you don't do the training, you're, you you know, you're not going to be ready. Yeah. Bottom right. line. Right. You know, a lot of people think if I get a gun, I just have to point and shoot and it'll take all the problems away. Mm-hmm. Um, but once you start doing realistic training, then you start realizing it's more than just pointing and shooting.
0: Right. Right. For an average person, what do you think is the minimum amount of training that they should receive? And that that could be with self-defense also. But you know, if you if you want to be a responsible citizen and you want to be able to protect your family, protect your friends, protect your community. What do you think is the minimum amount of training that somebody re- should receive with self defense and then also weapons?
1: Oh, man. So, minimum training, you know, a lot of people want to do like a, a one uh, self defense course, and then, you know, four or five years later, all of a sudden that's when something happens to them and they're not going to remember it. Yeah. You have to do regular training. Mm-hmm. And by that, you know, even, even if it's an hour a week, four hours a month, you know, I think that would be the minimum just mm-hmm. to keep current you know but but even if you're only doing 4 hours a month man that's so much more than you were doing before mm-hmm. um, obviously anything more than that is great but anything less than that i think you're 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 just you're not doing a realistic training and what i mean by realistic training you got to have that live training you got to be doing that pressure testing you know does this technique work is this realistic you know you, do i have a fully resistant opponent you know um you know some somebody i can um actually fight with uh, that's going to be trying to you know get on top of me. He's trying to look for a submission. He's trying to look for uh, a position where he can deploy his weapon and get a you know advantage on me. You know that's more realistic. You know a lot of the Krav Maga stuff. You know it's more simulated. You know you got the female self defense courses. They're more simulated training, which there's something you can take away from that, but. How do I know if I poke the guy in the eyes or I, you know, punch him in the nose or I kick him in the dick and, and I could run faster than him? How do I know that, mm-hmm. you know? It's yeah. only through live training, realistic training that I realize that these techniques work or not. And so if you're doing minimal training, do realistic training.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, especially when you talk about martial arts and self-defense, you know, I've always thought it was funny that people think that they could take like one self-defense course or like a (laughs) self-defense seminar. And like, that's going to cover them, you know, because you know, I've been doing jujitsu now since 2015. um, And I realized like it took a long time for a lot of things to be muscle memory. You know, oh, it's and, a process. Yeah.
1: Absolutely a process.
0: Right. And, and to expect, and this is like, this is more of a sports psychology thing, but there was a book that I read a while back. It was called how champions think by Dr. Bob Rotella. And he talks about how, you know, you need to do things repetitively to the point that it becomes subconscious because when you're in a stressful environment and he's more talking about it from the perspective of like, okay, we're in a game, but when you're in a stressful environment, you need to be able to shift from the conscious to the subconscious because the subconscious is what's going to carry you through in those stressful moments. And if you don't have that repetition or that baseline, especially when it comes to stuff like hand to hand combat, it's like, how do you expect to use that when you're stressed? You know, at that point you're really just relying on, you're hoping that you're more athletic or stronger or whatever than the other person. But you and I both know, you know, you do enough jujitsu. I I would say even if I would, I think that getting to the blue belt level, in jujitsu, should be a goal for anybody who really wants to defend themselves. Oh, absolutely. You know?
1: Yeah, it doesn't take long to become a good fighter. Obviously, it takes a lifetime to become a master, and a, you know. But, uh, yeah, it would be like me coming up to you, and, and, and I've never played the guitar before, and say that you know how to play the guitar, and I come up to you and it's like, hey, I got three days, can you show me how to play the guitar? I got a concert coming up.
0: Yeah. You know, I
1: would not be ready for that concert. Right. You know, um, everything's a process. It takes a while to master things. Um, and, and, and just like any other hobby or any other, you know, talent or art out there, you have to work at it to mm-hmm. become great at it, to right. become good at it. Right. But, and, and that's why I mean like, you know, if you're going to do minimal training, you got to have a, you know, regularly happening every month, you got to train, 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 and then you, you will get better. But if you think you could just front load it mm-hmm. and, and take a week course and then think you're going to be good five, seven years later when you actually need it. It's not going to happen
0: yeah. that way. No, totally. Well, and I think that there are still avenues for people to, on, especially on the weapons side, there's still avenues for people to get good without spending a lot of money too. You know, like I know how cost prohibitive, you know, going out to the range and shooting is right now, but I mean, even dry fire drills or whatever, I mean, it's still a way for people to get that repetition and get their hands on. So, um, but I think that's a good point. It's like, what I, what I definitely notice is, civilians, and and I'm speaking on behalf of civilians, I think that a lot of times people are um, in their own minds way more prepared than they actually are. So to your point about just doing it regularly so that you have that baseline, I think is good. So let's shift gears a little bit and talk about martial arts. This is like, when, when I have guests on, I think everybody except one person that I've had on the podcast so far has done martial arts. So it's always fun for me to be able to talk about this but what are the most effective forms of martial arts in your opinion that someone can can start or do to protect themselves um
1: obviously I love jiu-jitsu you know jiu-jitsu is something you can do until you're old um, there's no striking involved uh, it's just rolling around the ground looking for dominant positions and, and so that's a great place to start and also even to finish off um, the problem with jujitsu is they don't they don't put too much emphasis on, on taking the person down. They don't think too much about, uh, you know, they, they feel comfortable being on their back, rolling around, looking for sweeps and submissions. Um, they're doing it in, a, in a controlled environment where it's just one-on-one. And and so you need to kind of break that habit and, and bring, like, maybe multiple people out there. You know, you got you and your buddy trying to fight one person, um, or you're that one person trying to fight a person and his buddy. And seeing, you know, what makes it more realistic. Start throwing, you know, we brought rubber knives and rubber guns into on our Protector One course mm-hmm. with you guys. And you saw a lot of those purple belt, brown belts that were in the class all of a sudden lose their mind mm-hmm. once a gun was there. There's, they lost position. They lost, you know, um, what was important, you know. So, so, but Jiu-Jitsu is a great foundation. And, and it will show you why position is so important in a fight. And of course, you know you got boxing and and kickboxing. Uh, wrestling is amazing because mm-hmm. wrestlers just move forward, go 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 go. They don't they don't give you a break, you know, to to, to recover. You know, well jiu see they call that the lazy man sport. Mm-hmm. I, I got my resting areas, I got my breaks, and and like we said before, you feel comfortable being on your back looking for submissions. Um, but with wrestlers, you know they they're great at that top um, control. They got that great um, base and foundation where they don't want to be on their back. They don't want to be on bottom in a fight. Um, but all in all, is do they do live training? You know, are they do they got a fully resistant opponent trying to do the exact same thing to them as they're trying to do mm-hmm. to you? It's not simulated training. And simulated training is what gives people a false insecurity you know. Now some people can take that Krav Maga and everything and feel confident walking through a parking lot and everything and that's great you know maybe that's for them mm-hmm. but when shit really does happen I think they're going to be ill prepared for it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah so I, in my mind I've always thought Jiu Jitsu, Judo, Wrestling, Western Boxing, Kickboxing and oh, then absolutely. maybe even um, you know I mean I guess there are some like hard styles of karate like Kyokushin where you are actually doing full contact sparring every class. Yeah. But
1: to find like a class that actually teach that, yeah. you know, it's hard to find yeah. Taekwondo. They don't want any kind of impact as right. well. No punch into the face. You know, these are great martial arts, um, for discipline and for your children to kind of get into the whole mindset of like, what is martial arts? But at the end of the day, kicking boards and paddles, you know, that aren't hitting back, they're not fighting back. It's, it's just setting you up for, you know, um, failure. So at the end of the day, if you're, if you're serious about learning how to fight, you need to fight, Yeah, you know, in jujitsu, you go in there, they give you a white belt, they show you some techniques and they say, go find a partner, you're going to roll around and you're fighting that day.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah, no, totally. And I think that that's great advice. It's like, regardless of the martial art that you choose or you narrow it down to, make sure that where you're going does full contact rounds, you know, like. Whether it's jujitsu where you're rolling live every single day, or it's a boxing gym where you're boxing someone every single day, um, you know, find somewhere that's that's getting after it. I, what I appreciate, and I think I, I really learned to appreciate this last weekend, was Prime where I go. Um, there is an there's an emphasis on wrestling. You know, we do hand fighting. I mean, a couple times a week. You know, at a minimum, we do hand fighting. A lot of times, we will do do wrestling, and then when we get to the ground. Marcelo is very, he's like old school Carlson Gracie, like stay on top, heavy pressure type of game, which is awesome because That's great, yeah. for self-defense purposes, even though I wouldn't necessarily consider our training, our training is more sp- it's sport in a sense that, you know, we're not talking about like, hey, you're in a fight with someone. It's more like, hey, we we got a competition coming up, but that style of get on top, stay on top, and then just grind it out, like really served me well this past weekend, you know, and it, it really validated to me like, okay, how I've been training jujitsu, will work well for self-defense with that being said one of the most eye-opening experiences to me this past weekend was incorporating the weapons so like i've done jujitsu for years but i've never done jujitsu where it's like okay now we're going to introduce a gun or we're going to introduce a knife how do you neutralize that person you know so that was that was a great experience for me because it's just not something i've ever done and kind of like you talked about you you throw a A gun or a knife in the mix and now all of a sudden my normal posture I would take is maybe different you know um, I found myself losing some positions that I normally would be able to keep and then it was also an experience for me to kind of validate some things that I do already that worked really well for not necessarily me getting the weapon but keeping it away so for instance like I do 100 kilos all the time where I get that near-side underhook with my legs and far-side underhook with the arm and just kind of smash them. It worked great to keep them away from getting the weapon out of their waistband or whatever. Um, But yeah, that was a great experience. You know, that's why I think even if you have an extensive experience in martial arts or a decent amount of experience in martial arts, taking a course like Sheepdog is really good because it shows you, like, this is what the real world is and this is what's going to work in the real world.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then we also don't shy away from, you know, body sizes um, or gender or anything like that. You got, you know, a 100 pound girl fighting a 250 pound guy, you know, and, and she's trying to get on top and, and trying to choke this guy out. You know, he's using his weight while she's using her cardio and speed, you know. So it's, it's fun to watch the different factors play along, you know. And and like you said, when there's a gun involved or a knife involved, man, everybody just turns up the, the heat and everybody's trying to get a hold of those weapon systems, thinking they're going to get an easy, you know, submission, you know, pointing the gun at the, their, their opponent. But man, that I saw this little girl, you know, this weekend, you know, get that rear naked choke on that guy before he's even able to get a hold of the gun and get a proper, you know, or a, a good shot group on uh-huh. a girl.
0: Yeah. You know, another thing I was pretty amazed with with the class this last weekend was, You know, there were plenty of people that didn't have any experience in grappling and for us to do, because whoever's taken protector one before it's, isn't it normally it's four hours of grappling and then four hours of shooting on the first day?
1: Correct. Yeah. We do the the fighting in the morning and then the shooting in the afternoon.
0: Right. And then same thing with the second day. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. But this time we had to do the full day of shooting yeah. or the full day of fighting on the first day, and the full day of shooting on the second.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So because of the weather, we did like eight and a half hours of grappling, which that's the most jujitsu I've ever done in my life.
1: Oh yeah, we saw people walking around with all kind of bruises. And, yeah. and bumps, and their yeah. bodies are hurting and they're aching. They yeah. felt things that never felt before, and but everybody was smiling.
0: Which is uh, what well, when what I was going to say was I thought it was incredible that like given the experience level of some people in the room that there weren't injuries, you know? I mean, Mm. people who don't have the body awareness, like I doing jujitsu, it's like, okay, I know where I can pace myself Mm -hmm. or I can relax or, you know, but people who have never done it before, it's like full bore for eight and a half hours. I was like, man, that's cool that, you know, you guys had a, a good enough handle on the class that nobody ended up really getting hurt either. You know?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. We, try to make sure we don't go too hard on you.
0: Guys. Yeah. Right. <laughs> cool. Or so you
1: guys go too hard on each other. Really?
0: Yeah, for sure. So, um, circling back to the idea of, you know, being responsible gun owners and getting, getting proper training on the front end. Um, when someone's selecting a gun for self-defense, what do you think they should be looking for? You know, especially if they're going to go to a course like, you know, protector one.
1: Um, so man, it really depends on the, uh, the situation. Uh, a lot of people want to get those ARs for a self-defense weapon, and and why I love the AR, I think, you know, it's America's gun, you know, it's like our lightsaber, so to speak, uh, it actually makes for a really terrible self-defense weapon. Um, you know, like if you're at home, a shotgun is perfect. You know, somebody comes into your house in the middle of the night, maybe you're half awake, maybe you're half drunk. I'm not sure. Uh, you know, maybe you forgot your glasses on your nightstand. You don't. You know, it's dark. You don't really need to see all too well to actually pepper somebody with a shotgun. And then you also don't have to worry about those. Um, you know, the the shot going through walls and and, and shooting somebody you didn't intend to shoot. Mm-hmm. You know, where where actually my very first class I ever done with sheepdog. Um, we were up in quarterly uh, in Idaho, and our neighbor. Um, at our Airbnb, our neighbors shot through his house, into our house and went through five different walls before it finally came to a stop. and uh, and I and I, it just blows my mind, you know how, you know, irresponsibility or irresponsible. Some people are, you know, out there. You was it like
0: a negligent discharge? Yeah. He,
1: he put his gun away like four or five months ago and, and he had one in the chamber and then five months later he finally opened the case. And he, he was like, I wonder if it, you know, if I have it, you know, loaded and he pulled the trigger and sure enough shot right through his house into <laughs> ours.
0: <laughs> so again, going yeah. back to receive some training, if you're going to, you know, own these, these weapons, right? Yeah, yeah. You got
1: a free class from our guy, Matt Smith, uh, the, uh, the director of yeah. sheepdog sheepdog got a free class from him it's kind of funny i bet but yeah so you know like for home defense absolutely a shotgun you know but obviously you can't be walking around with a shotgun on the street so there you might need to get that concealed carry you know a lot of people like the big you know full um handguns full-size handguns but you know being concealed that's that makes more sense you don't want to be you know walked around from the hip unless you're all you know actually on a job in my opinion you know if, if you walk around with the the weapon on your hip, you kind of make yourself a target, mm-hmm. you know, because I know if I was a bad guy and I was trying to rob a place or shoot up the place, everybody wearing a gun on the hip would definitely be my first targets, you know, mm-hmm. um, and you don't know who's concealed. So if you train concealed, you know, you're, you'd be good to go. So I think a concealed handgun um, for out in the street and, and obviously a shotgun for the home defense.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, you know, my, my journey with, Defending myself with the concealed carry that that's something that's fairly new for me. I I really didn't I've had my concealed carry for quite some time, but I really didn't start thinking about carrying actually until like coronavirus, you know, because for me, that event really brought to light that there could be civil unrest at some point and I need to keep myself and my family safe. But I also don't have these delusions of grandeur either that I'm going to be like, you know, in some huge gun battle or something like that. You know, the biggest thing for me is how do I keep myself and my family safe? You know, how do I keep my home safe? Um, so with that, you know, I had to learn some lessons along the way too. Like you go back to talking about full size handguns, you know, I, I tried to carry a full size handgun concealed. Yeah, me
1: too. Yeah. I got
0: the Kydex holster (laughs) for it and I put it in my pants and I wore it for like a week or two. And then I said to myself, okay, well, I'll just wear it when I'm out of the house for maybe more than a couple hours. And then even a couple hours, it was uncomfortable. And I'm like, well, I'll just wear it unless I, if I absolutely need it. Well, then all of a sudden, it's just sitting in the safe. And I'm never, yeah, I'm never taking it out. I'm never wearing it. So I think one of the biggest lessons for me was if I'm going out with my family or my, you know, I want to protect myself, having something that's comfortable, you know? So like now for me, I think you saw it at the class. I had that um, SIG P365, which is like the size of a shield, but it holds 12 rounds. You know, that, that was perfect for me. I'm not like a huge gun nut. I have like three guns and that's it. I mean, I've always kind of been more of the training's more important than the weapon. You know, the training's more important than spending all this money on something that if I don't know how to use it, how, you know, how good is it? It's like equivalent to me of if I do jujitsu and I have the sweetest gi I just spent $300 on this Nike, nice ski, but I don't know how to roll. Yeah. Who cares? Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's, that's kind of my, Yeah, pick. you'll
1: see it's almost like, you know, buying that beautiful Harley Davidson. You just sleep in your garage and you cleaned all the time. Yeah. You're never, you're never taking it out. Yeah. And you see that a lot of, you know, with, with people and their guns, like even, you know, they, they like the full size handgun. So they'll go out there and train with it at the range and they'll walk around with a concealed, you know, um, uh, compact gun that they never train with. Right. And and sometimes I think that's ridiculous. Yeah. I know if I'm ever concealed carrying, I'll I'll do at least 10 draws before I ever walk out my front door just to make that muscle memory, you know, kind of reinforce that just in case I do need it that day. Mm -hmm. I don't care if I, if I'm carrying it all week long, every morning I'm doing, you know, the dry fires in the morning before I walk out just to get that, you know, habit.
0: Yeah. That was another thing too, is like taking this protector one course this past weekend. I was like, when I practice I'm going to practice as I would carry. So mm-hmm. like I had my, my holster inside the waistband. Um, I mean I, we had to have extra magazines for the purposes of the drill, but I wasn't wearing like a big old range belt either. It's like, that's not, I'm not going to be carrying this big old hip rig with yeah. a bunch of magazine pouches in the real world. Do you know what I mean? Oh, so, I agree hundred percent and I, it's cool, I, you know, go out with your buddies and shoot like that. Yeah. But for the purpose of taking a defensive pistol course, I was like, I'm going to train the way that I would actually carry on a day-to-day yeah, so. and i
1: highly encourage that for everybody yeah yeah because we aren't going to be walking around with it on our hip we're not going to be walking around with the, an ar strapped around our chest walking you know uh to the grocery store you know mm. um so you got to think like when am i using this when is it more you know not just realistic but um you know because a lot of time we, we think like when am i going to need a gun well heck most of the time i need a gun is like at the bar you know people pissing me off or places i'm not allowed to carry it like at a like a sporting event or a concert or something like that you know that's when there's so many people that's when you think this is where i really need the gun but of course you know you can't you know have you know guns or or weapons on you at then but that's when you know learning how to fight hand-to-hand is so important because nobody can take that knowledge away from you and, um, you know, you see something happen, at least you've got the hand to hand knowledge as well, you know, so don't just rely on your weapon system either. A lot of people think like, long as I got the gun, I can just shoot him.
0: Mm-hmm. and they
1: don't realize, you know, it's not about just being able to shoot the guy. Cause when do you have the gun
0: on you? Right. And, and I actually think you bring up a good point that, that I kind of want to talk about just kind of impromptu here. But one of the things I didn't really ask you about is, is the idea of situational awareness. So, you know, training is great. Uh, martial arts is great, you know, learning how to safely use a weapon is great, but I think one of the, the best things that we we can talk t- about and try to hone is situational awareness. You know, like, I, f- this is a great example. You know, people talk about some of the riots that have occurred in the last couple of years and people who have gotten hurt in those instances or been involved in, in shootings or been involved in, in really hairy situations. And, you know, my thought process has always been well, I just don't want to put myself there in the first place, you know, like if I don't have to be somewhere that's dangerous or rowdy or has people who are riled up or an area that could have violence, then I'm just not going to be there. You know what I mean? Like even if I have the training, I don't necessarily want to have to use that training either. You know, like that, that, uh, quote, Um, I'd rather be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in the war, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, yeah, I'd love to have all the tools and the training to defend myself, but that doesn't mean that I'm going out and looking for things either. And even just having the situational awareness to remove myself from an environment, I think is just as important as everything else we've talked about.
1: Oh, I agree. And I do do the same thing. I, I don't go to big events and everything if I can help it, but sometimes you can't help it. Sometimes you got somebody that wants you to come along with them or like I said, you even, you know, you go to the movies, you just want to watch Batman. And yep. All of a sudden you got a guy coming in there, you know, with a gun. Mm-hmm. Um... But yeah, with that situational awareness, at least you can kind of be looking around, you kind of look at the exits. How can somebody else come into this room? What kind of people are sitting around you? Um, who's up on the top, who's on the bottom? You know, just looking around and making those habits. Um, a lot of people think like, I don't wanna always be turned on. But if you, if you start creating these habits, before you know it, you're not even thinking about it. You're just doing it, you're mm-hmm. reacting. You know, like going in a room and not having your back towards the door. Um, you know, as it just becomes a habit, you know, you have, uh, and I think that's important to, you know, like we go to the grocery store, we'll just start counting hands. Like I want to see everybody's hands, you know, just starting to create the habit. And then by making that habit, you don't think about it. You have your situational awareness turned on all the time, which obviously is so much better than trying to be reactive. Last thing I want to do is, is hear a gunshot go off. And I'm like, where's that gunshot coming from? Mm-hmm. You know, I've already looked around the room. I already see where he can be coming at you know, and of course, more we practice it, the easier it is.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought your guys' situational awareness portion was really good too. You know, just learning about the different levels or different modes that you're in, you know, being in yellow or being in white, um, and then escalating when it's necessary. I thought that was really good. I mean, we, as firefighters, we receive a lot of situational awareness training, but for us, you know, we don't i think maybe the reason i I emphasize situational awareness so much is we don't carry weapons you know i mean Mm -hmm. in recent years with the climate we've gotten ballistic vests and ballistic helmets and we have had some of our individuals you know be shot at or, or just kind of be in the mix while people are getting shot um but more than anything it's like how do we keep ourselves safe how do we recognize what environment we're in how do we remove ourselves if it's applicable so i think that's a really big piece Okay, another really big piece that I want to talk about, and this is, you know, obviously more applicable to my realm, but uh, I want to talk a little bit about first aid, you know, um, trauma first aid. So, first of all, what is an IFAC?
1: Uh, so, an IFAC is just an individual first aid kit um, designed to be a small pouch that you would carry on your yourself for in case you get hurt. Um, obviously, you can use that um, IFAC to help other people that get hurt, but it's really Designed for you, so if somebody comes up to you and you got hurt, they'd be able to take your kit and be able to um, patch you up or what they need to do without actually using their own kit.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a tourniquet. You know, I think being one of the bigger components of that. You know, I I know that there's debate out there, but like I have an iFac in my car in the event that somebody ever gets hurt, I've got a tourniquet. A um, hemostatic agent. I've got like an Israeli bandage, combat gauze. One thing I need to add after Matt spoke the other day was an NPA. Um, yeah, now
1: an NPA and also a blanket. You know, getting oh them yeah, little space blanket. blanket. Yeah, talking about you know people losing um, heat. You know, especially if they're bleeding out, they get cold quickly, and hypothermia is a real thing. And and they lose a lot of people just to that. So being able to keep people warm, you know, is a is, is crucial.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think the, the first, the trauma first aid or just first aid in general, I think is a really underlooked component of being prepared. You know, I mean, if you're, if you're not willing to, uh, learn how to, you you know, do self-defense or martial arts or use a weapon, I think at a minimum, everybody should know how to at least administer first aid, you know, Mm -hmm. And, and there's actually been instances in my career where I've used a tourniquet for things that had nothing to do with violent injuries. You know, I used a tourniquet one time for a guy who cut himself with a circular saw and oh. just, you know, yeah, cut yeah. the, cut the shit out of his leg. So mm-hmm. tourniquet. Yeah. Tourniquet Actions. worked great in that circumstance. It wasn't anything related to a violent incident, yeah. but it was still good to have that training. So I think at a minimum, you know, responsible citizens should know how to administer first aid Oh, and There's so many bad, um, what do you call it? Uh,
1: You know, people talk bad about the tourniquet. They think, like, once you put a tourniquet on, you're going to lose that limb, you know. Um, People think, you know, tourniquets should be, like, the last thing you go to, you know. The old way of thinking was put a Band-Aid on it. If it's still bleeding, put a presser dressing on it. If it's still bleeding, then we'll put a tourniquet on it. Once we put a tourniquet on it, you're going to lose that limb. But obviously, over the years, we realized that is not the case. It's not true. You know, uh, people still believe if you got shot in the lower arm, you should only go two to three inches above the wound um, to put a tourniquet on. And and people aren't actually stopping the bleeding doing that. So understanding that you got to put a tourniquet on, you know, high and tight on the limb, stop the bleeding. You can get them, you know, to a an area to a uh, first aid where, you know, we actually got a surgeon and stuff. They could take the tourniquet back off, save you, and you could keep that limb, you know? Yeah. And so all those myths out there, you know, I wish people would realize like they're, that that's what they are. They're myths and, and open up the training again for everybody to understand.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. And I, what, what's the the rule kind of like four hours is you know four or more hours you can have a tourniquet i mean i know it's even more than that yeah i put you it on the doctor on. Yeah. i don't even think right. if, if
1: i see somebody bleed i'm putting a tourniquet on i'm not even messing around with it get them to the hospital yeah no that makes sense you know, so yeah, at the minimum, everybody, if you got a gun, you should have a tourniquet with you for mm-hmm. sure. And we talk about a, at least having three tourniquets, one at the, the house that you live in, one at the, your work site, where you're going to be most of the day. And then of course, one in your car. So anywhere in between, you know, so if, if something does happen, I can get there, I can get to that tourniquet. I can make, you know, um, nec- you know, whatever I need to do necessary to uh, save that limb, save that life. Yeah. Yeah. You know, somebody, you they might lose a limb. I'm not saying that they won't, I'm, they might lose a limb, but at least they'll save the life. Yeah. But if that tourniquet's not there and you just watch them bleed out, people think like, oh, I can improvise with a belt or something like that. And it's, and it's not true. Especially to, for those larger arteries. Absolutely. You, know? you need to get a real tourniquet.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I've i used, um, I think I've used two or three tourniquets in my, in my career and they work well, but I can't imagine trying to improvise with something else. You know, I mean, two twice two times that i used them was somebody's femoral artery was severed and i mean i can't imagine trying to use like a belt or something like that no, no, you know like no. that just wouldn't work so yeah no i totally agree get the training on it buy high, high quality stuff too you know i know that was something that was discussed in the class is there's a lot of knockoffs as well when it comes to tourniquets so yeah, yeah. making sure that you're buying like a an actual cat tourniquet if that's something you're going to keep with you mm-hmm. And then yeah, getting it out of the plastic bag, actually
1: using it, training with it. People think if I use this tourniquet in training, then I can't use it in real life. You right. know? And, and, and that's a myth as well. You know, train with it over and over and over. And then once the Velcro starts going away, that's when you get rid of it and buy a new one.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I'm actually going to skip over that question, the next question. So I want to talk about what are your everyday carry items? What do you keep with you on a day to day basis? <laughs> um, I wrote
1: down here is probably the Bible, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, like, you gotta be a good person. Um, and, and, and so a lot of, you know, as far as like, people ask me all the time, like what weapon do you carry on you regularly? And, and I don't carry a weapon on me regularly, you know, uh, when I, when I do, obviously it's more of my concealed compact gun. And that's if I'm going to be on my motorcycle by myself, or maybe if I'm hiking with the dogs out in the woods and the mountains, you know, um, but just walking around on an av- you know, every day, um, you know, I just keep a good attitude. You'd be surprised how far that goes. A lot of fights, a lot of shooting, a lot of things could be, actually be prevented if people weren't such assholes out there, mm-hmm. you know? People, you know, get their road rage, start yelling at each other. Um, then they just start wanting to, you know, pull guns or whatever, you know? That's, but if you had a good attitude and you just smiled and waved, all that could have been, you know, yeah. prevented.
0: Yeah. Verbal judo yeah absolutely. de-escalation techniques yeah,
1: yeah no i like that a lot of people have a problem with that i think what's that uh just de-escalation staying calm yeah de-escalating oh, yeah. the situation everybody wants to be heard and you start yelling next thing fists are flying you don't know what's going to happen right but you know somebody you know i cut somebody off and he flips me off i just wave and, and smile at him yeah it does two things it pisses them off you know because I'm, I'm 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 waving and he's mad and he doesn't want me to be happy but uh it makes me happy the rest of the day. I know if I, you know, start yelling back, I'm heated for the rest of the day.
0: Yeah. So can't let one, I've heard another saying it's something like, are you going to let a couple seconds of your day ruin your entire day? You know, it's like somebody cuts you off or somebody pisses you off. Well, that's like, you know, five seconds of your day.
1: And what's interesting about training, you know, um, all the time I notice if I don't train, like I'm very irritable. Like, I go to a bar and so many bumps into me and they they made me drop my beard. I'm ready to fucking fight, you know? But if I've been training all week... And I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I just want to drink my beer. And somebody bumps into me. I just I just wave it off. I'm like, don't even worry about it, brother. Yeah. You know. And, yeah. and most people are like that. It's surprising. A lot of people think like, oh, well, what if you're training monsters to become bigger monsters or or bad guys to be better bad guys? And it usually doesn't happen that way. Even if they are a shitty person, right away they realize this isn't the place for them. Um, or you can turn a shitty person into a good person. I've seen a lot of people with. Um, uh, anger management issues, uh, start training. And all of a sudden they're just the happiest people in life. Yeah. You
0: know? Yeah. I yeah. thought it
1: was funny. One time I had a counselor telling me that you're supposed to have eight hugs a day. That's, 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 you know, makes you a good person. And I was like, well, no wonder we're always so happy. We're aggressively hugging each other on yeah. a regular, trying to choke I, each other out it's, and everything.
0: It's funny that you mentioned that because I are my last, our last episode, we had a, uh, clinical psychologist on mm. and, uh, he talked about how, they've done some research on basically non non non-sexual touch is what he called it Mm. for people who train jujitsu and do combat arts is uh, something that's a very necessary thing, particularly for men, which I thought was interesting. And I think I agree with you. Like it's, I, I don't get very stressed, you know, when I've been training a bunch. Um, it's just such a natural way to blow off steam, you know, and I wish that more people, especially in the first responder community, and I'm sure the military as well, would train in jujitsu or some oh, yeah. sort of martial art, because I think that if they did, they could become addicted to something like jiu-jitsu that's a healthy outlet, as opposed to getting addicted to something like drugs or alcohol,
1: you know? Oh, I agree, you know, it, it's more than just learning how to fight and defend yourself and defend the people you love, but it's such a great resiliency training. In the Army, we got, you know, you can have the open door um, policy with the commander, you can go see the chaplain, we got all kinds of counselors to be able to talk to, and, and and you'd be surprised, but soldiers really don't want to talk about their feelings, yeah. you know? So you get them down there and punching a heavy bag or rolling around with some of the, the instructors. All of a sudden, all their problems go away. They become a little bit, you know, you know, you know, eases mind and everything. And, um yeah it's such a great resiliency training all of a sudden you don't care about all all your problems and burdens because now you got this 250 guy the 250 pound guy on your chest trying to choke you out that's your problem now that's what you're worried about and when the the match is over you high five you're smiling you're laughing you're like i don't even know what i was mad about before Mm
0: -hmm. yeah yeah and i think you know to your point another thing that jujitsu does is allows you to be present in the moment you know because the world that we live in now, especially with our cell phones and just the daily stressors of life. I read a book called comfort crisis, where it said that we take in 4,000 times more information than somebody did even in the last century. So, you know, how do you find activities that allow you to be present in the moment? I think something like jujitsu is that thing because you can't help but be present in the moment when you've got somebody who's trying to choke you or, you know, put you in an arm lock or whatever. We we
1: call it staying comfortable in the uncomfortable, right? Yeah. 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 No, that's
0: cool. All right. What are some rangeisms or cultural things in the shooting world that you think are overblown or don't have value? Um
1: Oh man. So, so obviously, you know, you need the basics. You have to understand how the 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 function of the weapon works. You got to understand, you know, how to get your sight picture, sight alignment. Um but some of the things we start, you know, like we were talking about earlier, it becomes Hollywood, where we think we could just shoot the guy, he's going to fall down and die. Um, so shooting in the open, you know, isn't realistic. You would be shooting to cover, shooting behind cover, um, being able to do an emergency reload, getting your weapon, you know, plussed up again, you know, because obviously guns run out of bullets, you know, and, and people don't practice reloading their weapon enough. Um, a weapon jam how do i how do i fix the malfunction how do i get it back up on target you know how do i stay calm um when when there's chaos all around me and you know when we go to the range we're completely calm it's a relaxed environment we can sit there pick up our gun off the table shoot a few times at the target and think like yeah i'm a marksman here and uh But it's it's once, you know, you get your heart going boom, boom, and your breath is going up and down, you're exhausted, you're sweaty, Um, can I still shoot proficiently then, you know? Yeah. And that becomes, you know, more realistic training. Um, In the Army, we used to have a thing called lift, shoot, fight. Uh, or left fight shoot and so we had left heavy and then right after that we would go into fighting mode and be like pummeling or doing jujitsu for dominant position and everything then right after that we would go get our guns and we just have to go shoot and so our hearts pounding um we're stressed out our sweats getting into our eye um and then it's like man can i make accurate shots now while still moving behind cover
0: right yeah i thought that was one of the coolest parts about the protector one course is that culmination at the end the final exercise where you know, we had to pummel and get our heart rates up and then shoot from different positions mm-hmm. from behind cover. I thought that was cool. You know, I thought, I thought that was super realistic. Cause like you said, you know, when you go to the range, especially like, you know, some of the ranges, you can't do anything. You can't draw from the holster. You can't get on the knee. You can't be prone, you know? So you're, you are kind of just confined to, Hey, let's put this on the table in a controlled environment and shoot there, but that's not realistic. Oh no, and, and
1: here it's easy, you know, we got the mountains um, we can go up to, you know, some people got the desert they can go out to and, and, and shoot the way they want to shoot. But for a lot of people, that's not possible. And so how do you do realistic training when the range won't even let you do realistic training? And of course we talked about um, dry firing, you know, so important, can I get my gun up and, and out of the holster, you know? um, quickly and proficiently, yeah, you know, and dry farming is such a, you know, great tool that I don't think a lot of people take advantage of.
0: Yeah. You know, this, this brings up a thought for me of like one of my biggest pet peeves is physical fitness, you know, because to me, it's like, you can do all these things, but running is a survival skill. Yes. Fitness is a survival skill. Yes. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've been to the range and you've got, you know the fricking gravy seals or meal team six, you know, weighing (laughs) 350 pounds, you know, and you're like, if this, if you you have to run to save your life, like it's not going to happen. Yeah.
1: Everybody thinks it's fight or flight, right? It's like, I'm going to fight or I'm going to run away. But you would be surprised. Majority of the people out there have a a third one, which is freeze. They, they, they're like, look like deer in headlights. They don't know what to do. Um, You got some skinny people out there that think like, oh, you know, I'm I'm in good shape. You know, I'm skinny. I can eat a whole pizza and not gain a pound. And people put, you know, in our society, we put a lot on weight. You know, how much do I weigh? You know, oh, you weigh, you're you're overweight. But it's really, like you said, it's all about being fit. You know, you could be fat and be fit. You could be skinny. You could be unfit. Yeah. You know, I've seen some big boys in the military do some amazing athletic
0: stuff. Oh, dude i I have too I mean, and i'm and i'm I'm more specifically talking about people who live a sedentary lifestyle mm-hmm. who come to the range maybe once in a blue moon, pull out their gun and shoot it, and think that they're prepared, yes, with that being said, I've seen some dudes who, if you looked at them, you're like that person's out of shape, and then they would just roll you in the gym or their grappling stamina is incredible, so
1: oh yeah, we used to have this uh young female soldier, I loved her, she was a badass, we would train her up to. You know, be a killer. She was a monster. And then we get these uh, green berets coming in. We're like, yeah, we think we want to learn some of this fighting stuff that you got going on. And I'm like, okay, we'll go against that girl. And and they'd be like, oh, well, I don't, I can't go against a girl. I don't want to hurt her. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, you just take it easy on her. Man, before you know it, she's crawling up around his mm-hmm. back, put him in a rear naked choke, choking him unconscious. He's, he's waking up, staring at the ceiling, thinking like, what have I been doing with my life? Yeah,
0: yeah. You know? No, and I mean, on a personal level, you know, I've got a dad bod. But I train a lot too, so it's like I've got the you know the the grappling uh, conditioning is different, you know the the fighting conditioning is different. Um, You'd be I've been deceived many times by how people look, but have incredible grappling conditioning or fighting conditioning, whether they're small or whether they're super big. Oh yeah, yeah, like I was
1: saying, those are the guys you know spending all their times at the gym, you know lifting heavy weights. But I mean, you get tired of lifting weights. What do you do? You set them down until you're not tired, and then you pick them back up yeah when you got so many going against you you know you don't have time to say like okay give me a break give me a timeout. No, that guy's looking for a choke he's looking for an arm bar
0: right you know? yeah no i guess the the overarching message that I, I guess i'm really trying to get across is do self-defense so do martial arts you can train in your weapon system have first aid training but then also ensure that your cardio is up to snuff too yeah, and cardio huge thankfully uh grappling takes care of a lot of that for most people
1: yes yes it does
0: okay You know what i actually want to know because you really didn't talk about this so you're black belt in jujitsu Mm -hmm. right what was your path to black belt
1: um so my black my path to black belt in jujitsu well so when i first started seeing jujitsu i thought it was kind of gay you know i was looking at some (laughs) guys rolling around the ground and hugging each other and and you know and i was like well why don't they just punch them you know like i would just knock that dude out you know and uh, when I was going through level two cabattas in the army, I had this instructor, Keith Bach. Um, he was my instructor, and, and he was maybe 135 pounds, 145 pounds, small guy. I'm, I'm over 205, 210 at the time. And I was like, well, you know, I'll just knock this dude out. And he comes up to me, he's like, well, do you think you could knock me out? And I was like, well, yeah, absolutely. Look how small you are. And he's like, okay, well, I'll just do jujitsu, and you do anything you want. And I was like, well, how hard do you want me to punch? And he's like, well, how hard do you want? I was like, all right. And uh, sure enough, he took my back, put me in a choke, had a tap. Um, I was like, that was a fluke. That, you know, I was just taking it easy on you. Let me do it again. And then um, we high-fived and the same thing happened. He put me in a twister. It just made me feel like a little bitch, you (laughs) know? And I'm just like, how is this possible? How can I not do anything against this guy? You know, and I started realizing, you know, this jujitsu thing was a, a, you know, pretty important, you know, aspect of fighting. even though i was still you know army cabadas you know get big get on top you know finish the fight you know we got guns you know so so it took me a while to actually embrace jujitsu for the sport it is um and then you know my buddy Yako, he he promoted me to blue belt and even when i got it i wouldn't wear it you know he was like come on wear your blue belt and i was like no no i'm doing no gi or or i'll come out in my gi with no belt on and i was against it and for the longest time but after a while, you know, I, I started finding, like, yeah, there is something to take away from mm-hmm. jiu-jitsu. And, uh, and it is important. And, and not only that, but you can do it until you're old, you know. Um, Helio Gracie, man, that guy was, like, in his 80s still rolling around, you know, before he passed away. And so I realized, you know, that you know, jiu-jitsu is something I can do until, you know, I'm an old man, you know, keep it as a an hobby. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, I got promoted to black belt under my, my professor, my best friend, uh, Yako Kalili
0: hmm nice what, when was that
1: uh it was actually in 2020 nice. july cool so it hasn't been too long sweet that's awesome now people ask me all the time how long you've been training and i always feel weird you know like jujitsu fighting kabatas so i just give them my age i'm yeah. like yeah
0: 43 years i've been training nice nice <laughs> um we already talked about pressure testing you know i think we've gone in depth with that so what i would like to ask you though is so i'm assuming you're an mma fan oh of course yeah who are some of your favorite fighters
1: um. Oh man. So I like the old greats. You know, I like the uh, Rich Franklin, the Chuck Liddell, the the Randy Couture, um, the uh, Don Fry. You know, these guys were you know willing to get out there. Uh, Fedor. You know, and and, and they just they just want to get out there. They wanted to fight. You know. Um, and this was the way that they they had an avenue to fight, you know they didn't care about the politician politics or they didn't care about fame or position. all they wanted to do was just fight, and this what gave them opportunity mm-hmm. um so yeah
0: i I love the old ones, yeah, I do too you know i uh I'm not nearly as old as you, but uh not to say that you're old oh. not to say that you're old, <laughs> but uh I'm not as old as you yeah um but I my dad was always a big UFC fan and a pride fan too. So like I grew up with, I, I told you downstairs, I'm huge Mirko Crow fan, you know, like just watching him head kick knockout people, you know, I mean, I thought that oh, was so yeah. cool back in the day. I, I actually, when I was a kid, I was like, I want to be just like, just like Mirko Crow Cop. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to perfect my left high kick and I'm going to go to a kickboxing gym dude, I suck at stand-up. I'm oh, terrible. You, you
1: feel like Matt Hughes when we <laughs> rolled, man. You were heavy and you just had that country style about you. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: more of, a, more of a grappler for sure. But, yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I think that, like, a lot of modern MMA fans kind of miss out on that era. You know, they don't really know kind of the legacy that brought us to where we are today, especially, you know, going back all the way to UFC 1 when Hoist Gracie really showcased how good jujitsu was. Um, yeah, and it wasn't
1: it, just one fight either. It's right. just multiple matches yeah. in the same night. I just, uh, before we got here, I was watching the Cabadas tournament on Fort Carson. It's a three-day long tournament. On day one, it's all jiu you know. Um, you're looking for takedowns. You're looking for body position. You're looking for submissions. And then on day two, you know, you're a lot of slap to the face, punch to the body, kick to the head and body. Um, and then day three, which was today, you know, they put on the four ounce gloves and they're in the cage and they're just banging it out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even if you're training for jujitsu, you're going to be cut short, you know, at the end when it comes to more of an MMA style rules and everything. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think what's cool too. I mean, today, w- well, what I think is interesting is back in the day, you could get away with a single style, you know, you can oh, get yeah. away with a single discipline. I mean, horse Gracie demonstrated that, especially beating bigger guys, um, like, you know, uh shamrock and some of those bigger dudes back in the day but nowadays i think ufc has evolved and mma has evolved to the point where you're either a good martial artist and a great athlete or you're a good athlete and a great martial artist there's really no in between so you're starting to see some of the guys who are still kind of sticking around like donald cerrone losing some of their fights because you've got these guys now where the Danahers of the world and some of these elite trainers um you know, are really crafting some really high-level fighters and making people really r- well-rounded in a way that even 10 years ago you wouldn't see, you know, people that were as well-rounded.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. The old fighters, you know, they always had their backgrounds. Well, I got a jujitsu background, a wrestling background, a boxing background. And, of course, they needed to know everything, but, you know, they're they're, you know, old men trying to learn, you know, a new game while now the new generation they're starting with mma they're not starting with one style you know it's coming right from like i want to be an mma fighter you know and i'm 10 years old now i was saying that i have had people ask me like what should they get their kids into um but you know of course you know kickboxing and and boxing tbi is a real thing so oh yeah be aware of that. You yeah. Know, so stay in well, jujitsu, get again, the foundation, yeah. understand that. And once you're, you know, an adult more developed, then get into the striking portion yeah.
0: of it. But again, going back to it, even a blue belt would handle, you know, oh, yeah. 90 plus percent of the population.
1: Oh man, like a purple belt today can beat the black belts back in the 90s, mm-hmm. I bet. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. What's also interesting is seeing like an evolution of techniques too. Like mm-hmm. a, a good example is the calf kick. You know, I mean, calf kicks and MMA you know, that really, that, that's a fairly new technique, you know, not that it's a new technique that it was just created, but more just its usage. You know, uh, yeah. one that really comes to mind is, uh, Henry Cejudo versus I think mighty mouse just got jacked up with that calf kick and you're seeing it more and more again, the oblique kick. I don't know if you watched that fight with Khalil Roundtree not too long ago, oh, but yeah. he was using yeah. that. Oh my gosh, dude. And he freaking blew out that guy's knee. I'm like, <laughs> you wouldn't see that 10 years ago. You oh, know no. I mean? There's, there's just an evolution of techniques that I think is really cool in MMA right now all right to wrap this up this is a question that we always ask since it's called the mentor podcast who are some of your mentors and how have they impacted you oh man so
1: some of my mentors obviously i got to go back to dad you know dad dad showed me what a a man's supposed to be what he looks like tough motherfucker um, not afraid to get dirty not afraid of hard work um, doing the right thing even when nobody's watching You know always trying to live up to what my dad you know um taught me to be you know it's difficult but at the same time you know like he's my biggest mentor for sure you know how can i be more like that guy and then uh the rest of my life was really easy because i was always trying to live up to his standard Hmm. um but of course once i joined the army you know i got so many different mentors uh, showing me you know how to be a better person in so many different levels of course, I got Matt Larson. Um, he got me over to the Fort Benning Fight House in the Army down in Georgia and, and and Yako Kalili, like I was talking about earlier, and giving me my black belt. You know, these kinds of people, Keith Bach, you know, teach me how to be a great mentor, not just a good fighter, but a great mentor uh, to be a better person. Um, you know, just people, you know, I don't, I don't really have like, uh, I, I don't have like, um, I'm not a fan for people I don't know. Uh, you know, I don't look at people like heroes or anything like that. Oh, yeah. it, you mean like other figures
0: that yeah, are out Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah.
1: like, while I, I, you know, I love how Randy Couture fights, I'm not going to call him a mentor. And it's not mm-hmm. like I want to be like him, you know, because I don't know who he is, you know, but I know who the guys, you know, that had my, you know, my, where my right arm, my left arm, you know, I know who those people are, and, and those are the people I want to be like. So a lot, of, a lot of influence from, you know, seniors in the Army and my peers in the Army. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Well, um, if that's all we got here, do you have anything you want to add?
1: Um, there was that one question you were talking about with, uh, um, you know, if you, you know, you can't conceal carry, you know, in in areas, how how practical knives are and everything. And, and, and I wanted to kind of talk about, like, any weapon could be a good thing or a bad thing. You know, it really depends on how often you train with it. You know, can you easily access a weapon or a knife? Have you practiced pulling it out? You know, maybe if you keep it in your fanny pack or your purse or something like that, have you practiced, you know, actually deploying it, getting it out, getting it ready? You know, a lot of women, they carry, you know, mace on them or pepper spray, and they think, like, oh, I just got to point and shoot. And then, you know, under stress, are they going to be able to actually do that? You mm-hmm. know, are they going to be able to open their purse and, get it out how long will that take you know so taking that and making it more realistic you know um, whatever you carry you know um you know it is can you get it out of the holster can you Mm -hmm. get it up
0: yeah Um, no that's a great point all right to wrap this up if somebody has never heard of sheepdog response wants to take a course preferably obviously take a course with you if possible how do they get more information
1: I'll just go to the website, uh, sheepdog Um, all of our courses up there, they tell you all about it. Um, uh, you can see, you know, where we're training at, when we're going to be training there. Uh, what's awesome about it is they actually try to pick really nice spots so you can, you know, take a vacation with the family mm-hmm. and you can disappear for a couple of days, do some real training or even bring the family along with you and do some training. Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, and then of course you could always hit up Matt, our director, Matt at sheepdogresponse.com. He'll love you for putting that out there because nice. already get so much people you know, hitting him <laughs> up. <laughs> um, and then of course, Yako at com. Yako is spelled I-A-K-O.
0: Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you again for taking the time today. Really appreciated it,
1: man. Thank you so much, John.
0: Yep. This is a lot easier than you rolling on top of me. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for tuning in today. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to follow us on Facebook at Mentor Podcast and follow us on Instagram at Mentor Podcast CO. That's Mentor Podcast CO. And if you haven't already, be sure to leave us a review on Spotify. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.